you get Matthew 5, open up. This is quite an interesting effect, isn't it? This, this light shining behind, like Moses, <laughs> when he came down the mountain um, and his face shone. It's not quite the same. Um, I was told that you can't easily see my face, and I can understand why that's distressing for you. Um, so if at lunchtime I try and sit somewhere more in the shade, um, and, and you can come and you can gaze and, and get your fill at that stage. But the important thing is, is, is what, I, what I say um, and what we hear from God's word. Um, Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to read um, the first 12 verses. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Lord God, we do indeed pray by your Holy Spirit that you would be changing our hearts now as we hear these words from our dear Saviour, the Lord Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen. So we're especially focusing in this session on verses 8 through to 12. And one of the things that can happen as you get into these Beatitudes and sit with them for a bit is that you can just start to think they are unattainable or completely unrelated to the present, especially when you see something like, say, verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And you might start saying, well, you know, who is pure in heart, really? I'm not pure in heart. You're not pure in heart. Jesus was pure in heart. And you know, surely it would be entirely pharisaical to talk about this verse in terms of ourselves. Or you might say, well, this is, this is entirely future, isn't it? It is in the future tense. They will see God. Um, this is entirely future. It's on that last day. And it will be a glorious last day 
when I see him. And that will be when the work is complete, when in a twinkling of an eye we will all be changed and we will see him as he is because we will be like him. And I will see God, I will be pure in heart. It's all in the future. This verse doesn't really have anything to do with the present. And both of those lines of thought have some truth in them. And both of them, I think, slightly miss the mark in terms of these sorts of verses. Yes, only Jesus has ever been truly pure in heart. Yes, we will be utterly pure in heart when it comes to being with him in glory. But this is not, therefore, entirely unrelated to the present. Indeed, there is a direction of travel that comes in between the two. And that is the present. And this verse has to do with that. This is a direction of travel which takes me from seeing Jesus as the totally pure one who died for me to the day when I see him as the magnificent and glorious one who has made me like him. And this verse is not irrelevant for the time in between because it's verses like these that grow in me new desires, which are all part of the work to get me to that day, creating in me a pure heart, as Psalm 51 prays for. The Spirit is working in me. It's at work in my heart, giving me and growing within me new desires, desires for God, a love for God, not as strong or as perfect as I would want it to be, but nevertheless real, a new love that wasn't there before. I love my Lord, and I want to grow in my love. So I read a verse like this, and I'm thinking, yeah, that's where I want to be, pure in heart and seeing God and wanting it more and more. In the present, I taste some of it now. Something of what it means to have a heart that is purified by a love for God and a desire for him. And something of what it means to know him intimately, to have communion with him. And that is somewhat different than if we said, oh, this verse is just all in the future. Or, oh, this verse is, it, it only really applies to Jesus. This is awakening and kindling and fanning into flame our affections, isn't it? It's training our hearts as we taste something of this now. So we become a bit like that man who said to Jesus, I do believe, help my unbelief. As we go through these beatitudes, we're saying, I do repent, help my unrepentance. Or I do love, help my unlove. But I'm getting a bit of a head ahead of myself because I haven't even given my first heading. And clearly, Scripture has ordained for these last three Beatitudes to be preached together, at least when preaching them in English, because we can very easily do it under three headings, which all begin with the letter P. <laughs> Pure in heart, peacemakers, persecuted. We'll take them in turn, although I've obviously said quite a bit about the first one. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And this verse goes very deep and very high, doesn't it? It goes deep into our hearts and then it lifts us to such heights 
First of all, it reminds us again that Jesus is interested in our hearts. And we keep needing to be reminded of this. He is not interested in whether we put on a good show. He is not interested in whether the outside of the cup is clean if inside it is filled with greed and self-indulgence. And we all know that. And we all we know that. Nevertheless, we are still good at being able to put on a good show that fools other people. No one would know. But Jesus does. He can see what's real and he can see what's a fake. He is interested in our hearts, the very core of who we are, what we love, how we reason, the choices that we make. He knows our hearts, and if nothing else convicts you of your poverty of spirit, this must, mustn't it? Jesus knows your heart. He can see insincerity and lies and bitterness and jealousy and spite and so on. He can see the desires for things that are not right. He knows the fantasies you entertain. He knows it all. He can see your heart. He knows it better than you, because after all, the heart is deceptive. And so this is where we might start to say again, oh, this is just to our condemnation. And to be sure, we are convicted. But you come back to basics. You go back to the start. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. The Holy Spirit convicts us, and the Holy Spirit comforts us comforts us with the news of our Saviour who died for us, in whom we are accounted clean on account of his death for us, which is wonderful, wonderful news, but the comfort just keeps on coming, which is that he is giving us new desires. And he's pointing us to our Saviour who died for us, and he's pointing us to our Saviour who rose again. And he's saying the power that raised him from the dead is at work in you as well. Behold your Saviour who died for you and is exalted on high and who says, I am making all things new. Wow. So that your heart, which was once as black as can be, now there's a light kindled right at the core. And that light is taking over. He who said, let light shine in the darkness, has shone in our hearts. What amazing comfort that is. From the inside out, you are being made pure through the work of the Spirit. What does that mean, pure, pure in heart? Because you, you maybe look at that phrase and immediately our mind jumps to our behavior. And for good reasons, because you know there is stuff that you do and you think and you say that you shouldn't. But this is going even deeper than that. Purity of the heart. Purity at the very core of who I am. What does that look like? This is what it looks like, I think. Hear, O Israel. Yahweh our God. Yahweh is one. You shall love Yahweh, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. The greatest commandment is aimed right at the core of our being. Our God is one. 
So love him with a singular love, not a divided love, but with everything that you are. That's pure in heart. Do you love the Lord? If you're a Christian, the answer is, yes, I do. And then the next thing you say is, but not as I should. I want to love him more. I do love you, Lord. Help my unlove. And if that's you, this verse is your direction of travel. It's wonderful, isn't it? Your heart is being made pure. And one day, one day, that work will be complete. You will be pure in heart. You will love the Lord perfectly. It will be the day that you see him. You'll be like him. You will see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in the Lord purifies himself as he is pure. The beginning of 1 John chapter 3. Is that you? Is that you? I do love you, Lord. Help my unlove. Then you are blessed. You are blessed now, and you are on the path to being amazingly blessed. You will see God. Just spend time meditating on that verse. Let it go deep into your heart and then let it lift you up and give you that hope that moves you forward, that hope that, that, that burns within your heart. And then any other love, any other desire that would take you from him, you'll just immediately see it to be the poison that it is. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Wow. We're going to pause for a moment. I wonder if you noticed, I've been putting in some odd phrases at this point. I'll tell you whilst he's not in the room. One of Simon's wonderful idioms um, came to me in an email, and I read it, and I thought, I know what you mean, but I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that before, where he said, um, join the talks, just put a little bit of space in between for people to talk to each other. Add some air to the souffle. <laughs> so you may have noticed I mentioned that last night, and I thought I'm going to try and think of some other ones. So this morning, this morning we had, we're going to add some movement off the seam. You might have thought, what was going on? Because only Simon was laughing. Um, now you know, you are in on the joke. It is time to add a scherzo to the symphony. And... <laughs> We are going to have just a moment. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. If nothing else, just tell each other what wonderful news that is. Just a couple of minutes, and then we'll carry on.
Okay, let's come back together. It's just a marvelous verse, isn't it, verse 8? It, it, it fires up your imagination as well, doesn't it? Thinking, what will that be like? It'll be amazing. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Wow. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God, children of God. You see, as we grow in our love for God, as our hearts are purified, more and more we become like the one we love. You become like what you worship. We become like the one we love. Not in every respect, of course. You're not going to become omnipotent and all-knowing and so on. Uh, but we do become peacemakers like him. And isn't that one of the things that we sing about most, isn't it? This is one of the main themes of our Christian songs and hymns as we sing about our love for him. We, sung, we sing about what he did for us so that we can have peace with him. Marvelous verses like Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. Through Jesus, God reconciled to himself all things by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And we sing about that. It's rightly one of the things we sing about the most. How through the cross we have peace with God, we sing about it because it reveals to us as well more of who our God is, and we love what it reveals. And we want to be like that as well. A peacemaker, like him. Just think through, though, what that means. A peacemaker, like God, is a peacemaker. Just think through what immense cost was involved in making peace. It meant not ignoring the problem. It meant loving us even whilst we were sinners. It meant coming down and stepping down into the mess and it meant sacrifice. That's what it means to be a peacemaker like God. Let's, let's reflect on those. Being a peacemaker is not the same as just ignoring problems. God did not ignore the problem. He did not make peace with us by just saying, oh, it's fine. Let's just forget about all that stuff. Let's just try and ignore this awkward sin stuff. It's not how it works. Sometimes being a peacemaker means you're going to be the one who says, in love, there's a problem here. We have a problem here. It means you're going to have to say perhaps more often than we do, I've created a problem here. I've messed up and I'm sorry. Just carrying on ignoring problems is not the same as being a peacemaker. That's a false sort of peace. So there's that. Being a peacemaker means loving people even as they are not loving you means praying for someone rather than nursing a grudge and rehearsing in your mind, oh, do you know what they just said? What they did? How awful. Praying for them. It means you're hoping for peace. Hoping for peace between you and them. And of course, if they're not a Christian, between them and God. And you're ready. You're there, willing 
to do whatever's going to be necessary to bring that peace about if you get the chance. Because you might not. It is, after all, that first, as far as it is possible for you, be at peace with everyone. So there's that. Being a peacemaker means stepping down, <laughs> stepping into the mess. It means getting alongside people perhaps you'd rather not be alongside for whatever reason. And if we think, for example, about sharing the gospel with people, sharing the good news of Jesus with people, because that is the ultimate way we bring about peace in the world, isn't it? By sharing the good news of Jesus, you can see how that really applies here. There's stepping into the mess, being prepared to step down. I think it's a fair assumption that in the providence of God, the people who happen to cross your path the most are the ones the Lord is lining you up to witness to. They're not the ones you would have chosen, are they? They're so often not the people we want to associate with. Who is it you see? in your day well he came down he stepped into the mess so there's that being a peacemaker means sacrifice giving up something in order to make peace giving of yourself as he gave himself forgiveness involves sacrifice doesn't it to say I'm not going to make you pay for that thing. Oh, I'd love to make you pay. <laughs> but I'm not. The offence is forgiven. Again, when we share the gospel with others, in order to be a person who makes that sort of peace in the world, do we sacrifice for that? Sacrificing luxury so that I can give more to gospel work. Sacrificing other pursuits so that I can give more of myself. Sacrificing reputation and actually taking the risk of talking to other people about Jesus. Being a peacemaker, as God is a peacemaker, and <laughs> it's taking you back to the start again, isn't it? You feeling your poverty of spirit? Mourning your sin? <laughs> Yet again, in another way, I'm seeing it. Yet again, I'm hungering and thirsting for this. Holy Spirit, make me more like this. I want to be a peacemaker, as God is a peacemaker. It's taking you back to the start. Again, you hear the blessing. More and more, this is what's being made. This is what's being done in our hearts. More and more, we start to become like one, a peacemaker like God. And being peacemakers like him, you see this promise here, this is... This is just wonderful. We will be called children of God or sons of God. Not that we earn that, like you be a peacemaker and then you earn the right to be called a child of God, because we're adopted into his family when we come to faith in Jesus. He teaches us to pray, our Father. It's not that. I think it's more like, say, when Bertie, our eldest, say if he does something, of which I approve, and is kind of a bit like me, and I say, oh, that's my boy. I think it's like that. The more we become like God, isn't that a thought? The more we become like him, the more he might say, oh, that's my boy. 
that's my girl. My word, I want this, don't you? To be called a child of God in that way. So pure in heart, a peacemaker like him, and then finally, persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The same promise as with the first one, poor in spirit which rather hints to you that this is going to be something that Jesus expects to happen to all Christians. Even as we were going through the last point, and you've got that verse in your mind, as far as it's possible for you, be at peace with everyone, even as we were going through that last point, maybe you were thinking, yeah, but sometimes this is just going to get thrown back in my face. And sometimes just being a follower of Jesus leads to conflict, leads to division. We're not seeking it, but it does. As Paul put it in 2 Timothy, everyone who seeks to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. As Jesus himself said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And it might make us scratch our heads a bit because we maybe think, well, surely people who are meek and merciful, and hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and so on, surely these people are going to be admired, aren't they? And to some extent, yes, because as we read on, as we'll read on tomorrow, we let our light shine, and it leads people to give glory to our Father in heaven. Sometimes that's what happens, but it's not a universal response, and we really need to remember that. When being a Christian leads to difficulty and someone says oh that can't be God's will for you or when seeking to follow Jesus as a church means that some people in Little Shelford are unhappy and you say well Simon this can't be what we're meant to be doing you need to remember verses like this you need to remember words also in Luke 6 verse 26 the other side of this particular coin Woe to you when all people speak well of you. How often we think being a Christian means everyone should speak well of us. Being a good church means everyone should speak well of us. No. We will be persecuted precisely because, verse 10, we pursue righteousness. Precisely because, verse 11, of our allegiance to Jesus It will happen because if Jesus calls you, you are no longer of the world, right? And the world will respond with hatred, not with great intensity all of the time, but it will happen. And yes, when we see the word persecution, we rightly think of brothers and sisters around the world who are being persecuted in particularly intense and horrible ways And we pray about that and we lament and we weep over that rightly. But if I I may put it like this, it's not like carbon credits, right? This part of the church in this bit of the world gets persecuted, so the rest of the church need not worry about it. This will happen. If you are called by Jesus to follow him, you are no longer of the world. And how did the world respond to him? If it's never happened, 
maybe the world hasn't noticed. Your light, for what it was, shone in the darkness, and the darkness was well able to smother it. Verse 11 says Jesus, and maybe this helps us to see how this might happen. They are going to insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Persecution is not just prison and all of those horrible things. It can simply be words. You read through the Psalms, see how many times David gets churned up about the words that were said about him. Words hurt. Words have weight. Words have foreboding. Words have consequences. This does happen. And where it does, says Jesus, blessed are you. Where it happens, remember, the kingdom of heaven is yours. You are, after all, following the path your saviour trod. And you will share in the kingdom with him. And just to ram home the point of blessing, he kind of says it three times. Verse 11, blessed are you. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad. Don't rejoice in persecution as such. Don't rejoice in pain, but rejoice because, what does it say? Your reward is great in heaven. And rejoice because you are in great company. Saints who have gone before you, who were similarly despised at times, are now in glory. And if the world rejects you, if the world rejects you, all that that shows is that you are not of the world. And that is a good sign. Because who of us, after all, would simply want a worldly reward? <laughs> is that all you want? Just a worldly reward? No. Great is your reward in heaven. I want that. That's my hope. If that's your hope, that will help you as well to pray for this person who may be saying a nasty thing, that they would also know the peace that you know and also know the hope that you have. Peacemakers are not promised a nice, peaceful life in this world. That's why verse 10 followed from verse 9. But why would we want it, in a sense? Because that would simply be enmity with God. You get this promise if you're following Jesus. Great is your reward in heaven. The kingdom of heaven is yours. If these wonderful statements, verses 3 through to 12, if they describe how he's remaking your heart, you get the promise that you will see him and that he will say, that's my boy. That's my girl. And you will be always and forever blessed. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you stepped down
you came into this world and you reconciled us. You won peace for us. And we praise your name. We praise your name that you endured the persecution of the world. Your light shone in the darkness and the darkness hated it. We praise your name that the darkness was not able to overcome your light and that you reign on high and you give us these wonderful promises to those whose hearts you are remaking by your spirit. We thank you so much. And we pray, just keep us coming back to this. Keep us repenting. Keep us believing. Keep us marveling at the very fact that you would pronounce us to be blessed. Keep us rejoicing as your people, even if others insult us. Make us to be peacemakers and purify our hearts that we would love you and delight in you. We pray this, Lord, in your name and so looking forward to the day when we see you. Hasten that day. Amen. Was, uh, many reminders of how we are blessed in those beatitudes. Uh, we're going to stand to sing now and um, return the blessing to the Lord. Blessed be the Lord.